All right, Autobots. We gotta get together. I see you there, Prowl. Wheeljack. Mirage. We gotta go and fight those Decepticons. Decepticons like Starscream and Megatron and Skywarp. And we gotta have characters voiced by people like Peter Cullen. And, well, you know what? We're just gonna start talking about Transformers. More than meets July. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the More You Nerd. And it is July, and we are coming in with something very special this month as we cover the entire surprisingly short series season of the Transformers original cartoon show. I have a Transformer in my hand right now. You can hear it on the on the mic. Probably I will probably be fiddling with it all episode. Miles, you just got to tell me to stop because I love Transformers. How are you? buddy? <laughs> I'm doing good. I um I'm really excited about doing this month because it's a it's not often we have something that you're super super into and I just have a passing appreciation for it. Like I grew up with the cartoon. I liked the cartoon. I had some Transformer toys. I have seen several of the movies at uh, the original animated film and bumblebee i like transformers but and and this became more clear when i was watching these episodes is i remember liking transformers i don't think i i loved it when i was a kid i was i think more like ghostbusters and so it's it's interesting to watch this with some nostalgia but in a different viewpoint than i usually come out yeah, and as I mentioned when we introduced this uh, this topic last week, uh, for folks that didn't listen to that episode, I was a Transformers kid. I loved Transformers. I had Transformers. I all of my cousins, like I had older cousins, and so I inherited a lot of of their Transformers, specifically an original Optimus Prime. And uh, I did the same thing. I had I had the kind of uh, hand me down Transformers. <laughs> yeah, but I started I started getting my own Transformers were always something that I absolutely loved. And, and I just I would just transform them and transform them and transform them and transform them. And they came with these instruction manuals that had like the step by step thing. And I I would work to get to the point where I could transform it without looking at the manual, which for some was easier than others. <laughs> and uh, oh, yeah. And I and, and literally I have a transformer in my hand right now, which is my favorite transformer in my collection, which is why it sits with me. You've probably seen it behind me if you watched any of our Twitch streams that we've done over the years, uh, especially recently since I put a bunch of stuff behind me. And uh, and they're just they've always been a part of my life. And I'm not as much of a fan as I think I used to be. I was uh, I love the originals, the Gen 1, as they call it nowadays. Uh, and and I liked some of Beast Wars, but, you know, I, I haven't been a collector. I haven't watched. A tr There's more Transformers that I have never seen than Transformers that I have seen. That's just because they kept making them after <laughs> I stopped watching. Um, 
But but really to talk about this, we've got to go back to the beginning. So let's go back in time. A little history lesson. We're going back to 1980. And before we talk about our good old T-formers or Transformers, we have to talk about the toys that came before them. And that means talking about something called Diaclone. As strong as a diamond, as fast as a cyclone, Diaclone was a 1980 toy spinoff of an earlier series called Microman. Uh, you may know it in the U.S. as Micronauts. They served as as robots to be piloted by the little tiny micronaut figures of that line and the toys consisted of large robots and spaceships and other vehicles that it made sense for a bunch of sci-fi figures that traveled through vacuum tubes yes that's a thing in the micronauts uh, it made sense for them to to pilot those but in 1982 uh, takara toys the company that created the these lines uh they they expanded the line into a number of contemporary vehicles like a Lamborghini or a semi truck or an F-15 fighter jet. Uh, and at the same time, they also released a line, a new line called Micro Change, which featured handheld items like a cassette deck or a camera or a gun. Uh, Takara actually attempted to sell these toys in the U.S., but none of their attempts were particularly successful in doing research for this episode. It's funny because you can actually find pictures of a number of Transformers toys that were part of this Diaclone line that were released just randomly in different things. Like it's it's Megatron, but he's black and brown and it's called something completely different. And it was sold out of a Radio Shack in Ohio in 1982. It's it's a wild. I, I love stuff like that. I think that stuff is so much fun to go into. So flash forward to 1983. Henry Orenstein and his team were sent by their bosses at Hasbro to the Tokyo Toy Fair so they could find cool new things for the American Martin to be, market to be licensed. They came across the Diaclone toys and knew they had something they could work with. In the 1980s, there was a massive deregulation of what could appear and be promoted on children's television. Companies were now able to promote toys directly to children, not only via commercials, but with TV series as well. Something Hasbro knew very well from the success of a little show called G.I. Joe. I want to jump they in here with for, Marvel and I just want to jump in here for a moment. Sorry, because I I didn't know this before researching this episode that in the 1960s, fearing that fearing the the influence that uh, uh, TV shows and things like that had on children, the government put in place in the United States a number of regulations to block what you could and couldn't say on about different things like romper room was the one that i saw romper room which is a show that i have i have only heard of and i've never seen a single moment of they got hit the hardest because they had romper room toys that they suddenly were no longer allowed to talk about and then 1980 rolls around and there's a change in government and all of that stuff was washed away and it became part of the free market and the free market should decide what uh what we put in front of children and it made me look at the 1980s and the the mass market toy stuff in a completely different light it's fascinating you you know i i can see this only because of comic book history with the comics code and um the the hearings over what was you know you could put in comic books in the 60s um i can't remember the name off the top of my head anymore um 
there's a really great book on the history of it called the Tencent Plague. And a lot of that stuff also starts to really change in the 1980s in comics. So seeing that it was the same for television uh, makes a lot of sense for me. So Hasbro repartnered with Marvel and Sumbo Productions to try to get the same success they had with G.I. Joe. And like the earlier show, produced a three-pronged strategy, the toy line, a comic book, and a TV miniseries introducing what we will come to know as the Transformers. It was decided that instead of being mindless machines piloted by people, that the Transformers would be alien robots, the heroic Autobots and the evil Decepticons. Marvel Editor-in-Chief Jim Shooter created the initial treatment for the world of these bots, but called in comic, a comic legend to work on the character names and backstories, a guy by the name of uh, Denny O'Neill. Miles, you ever heard of Denny O'Neill? I, indeed, I have. <laughs> so Denny O'Neill came in to work on, on the, you know, the character names, backstories, all of that. Unfortunately, Hasbro didn't like what he came up with, and they asked him to make changes, and he just declined to participate and walked away from the project. Uh, one thing, however, did that remain. Also though, sounds like Denny O'Neill. <laughs> yeah. One thing did remain, though, and that is the name of the Autobots Fearless Leader, Optimus Prime, uh, something that O'Neill does not remember doing. He does not remember naming Optimus Prime. I believe it was Kevin Smith that called him out on naming Optimus Prime, which was was pretty funny. Uh, they brought in artists, uh, one in particular named Floro uh, Derry. Apologies for the mispronunciation of that that I'm sure I did. Uh, they were brought in to help humanize the fairly robotic Diaclone toys. The Diaclone toys, because they were meant to be piloted, oftentimes just had cockpits or they had had uh, uh, just a, a bunch of different stuff. And and a lot of the the cartoon versions that we ended up seeing in the cartoon, some of them looked OK. Some of them looked drastically different than than what we got on on, you know, in the toy. I would point to Ratchet and Ironhide as two characters who look completely different in their toys and in the the cartoon. Uh, Shooter brought in Bud Budiansky to complete the story work, and the stage was set for a four-issue comic book series, a three-episode pilot miniseries, and of course, those toy lines getting repainted and brought on over. So, oddly, though both the series and the comic originally from the same work that Budiansky did, they are not within continuity with each other, which is funny because the, a similar story happens with G.I. Joe, where you had these mini comics that were with some of the early toys and promoted the toy line that have a drastically different story than what you see in the He-Man, the Masters Universe comic book. But both the comic and the series ran far longer than anticipated. The comic ran for 80 issues, which honestly surprises me because even even at this point marvel would do a four issue limited series and that was about it uh but before the pilot series aired the show was picked up for an additional 13 episodes going on a huge 49 episode second season and if we do that math it adds up to 65 episodes the number needed for an animated series to become a weekly broadcast syndicated show which then leads us to the theatrical transformers animated movie and then follow-up TV seasons, and then Japan-only TV seasons, and then Generation 2 compilation episodes with Cybernet Space Cube. And then, well, you know what? 
we better get back to the beginning. <laughs> and here we are talking about more than meets the eye, the three episode sort of pilot mini series that was aired uh, across three weeks, in, actually over three days, excuse me, in 1984. Uh, and I think boy, Turtles used a similar strategy. When it first came out, I, I, a lot of those sh shows did this. I, I kind of love the three part or two part, whichever uh, they decided to do at a particular time. Almost like a, a full length movie style introduction to these characters. It's it's really fun because it gives you, you know, it gives you enough time to really to, to, to sit with some of these characters and learn who they are. Uh, but I made the joke that I don't think landed in the intro sequence today, but because of the way that they do these these shows and they want you to know the names of the toys in the show, they very regularly say you and you and you and you and you and you and make sure that they're calling out three Autobots or three Decepticons at a time in a way that is just very, very funny to me. Yeah, and, and you know, it it was this part results in something for this pilot movie, uh, essentially, that I was warned about. I have a, I have a friend of mine who's massively into Transformers that isn't true. And he kind of warned me going in to doing season one. He's just like, just just to let you know, the first season's a little dry. And I think that's part of it is because it's functioning as a toy commercial as well as a cartoon. The narrative gets bungled a lot by a lot of useless um, names and jargon that you don't need for a scene. But you do need to make sure that every child knows the name of every Transformer on the screen. Even Huffer, who is lame. I'm not a fan of Huffer. All you Huffer stands, don't at me. You know, it's it, it, it's it's funny because. And it's weird for me to be on 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 this side of the conversation, because I I'm I'm watching this show and I, I know a lot of the, the major ones are the ones I find interesting, but I don't know. I don't know nearly as many as I thought I did. And I'm seeing all these Transformers names being called out and and realizing I have no I mean, I'm on I'm in episode three and I have no idea who that Transformer is. <laughs> so there there are more in these first three episodes than I remember there being. So let's let's actually go through some of the plot bits, because I'm going to tell you, there is a lot in these three episodes that doesn't work or hasn't aged well or comes off as yeah. extremely dry. But there's some stuff that is really cool. And I got to say, the opening narration of this uh, and, and the guy who's like, the Transformers will be right back after this break. That dude is great. And he's got like this, this like dark, intense voice. It's really cool. So we open up our series on the alien planet Cybertron, the robotic planet Cybertron, as there's an energy crisis and this war has been going on for centuries. I, they don't say at this in this, they don't say in this episode how long it's been going on, but I believe it's revealed later that the war at this point has been going on for at least a million years, which is just, again, these are robots. They don't age. It's fine. So. You've got, yeah, but even even still, uh, 
<laughs> a million year war is is something else. Yeah. So so they're out of they're out of energy and the the Autobots are going to escape Cybertron to try to find energy somewhere else. And they are chased by the Decepticons uh, to end up crash landing on Earth. But I want to pause before that, because I just want to say, because, again, this is something that I, I, I knew because I had seen this more recently. But with I say more recently, a decade ago, but when I was a kid, I did not remember that all of the Transformers had Cybertronian special forms. Like, I think of Starscream as an F-15 fighter jet, because that's what he is to me. But in on Cybertron, he's this cool, like, triangle-shaped alien ship, you know? And you've got Wheeljack, who's a little hatchback van. Yeah. And you've got Bumblebee, who's like this little flying saucer. That The weird thing about it, though, is that their their robot forms look exactly the same, but they're alien for their cybertronian forms look like a cybertronian vehicle so like you know bumblebee has visible tires on his on his his form but when he transforms into his little spaceship you can see the tires are just on the bottom of the spaceship for no good reason just because they had to be there which i found very very funny but also kind of cool and uh and and i know they've made some cybertronian form uh uh toys out there uh in in recent years i don't have any of them but i kind of want to i did a lot of time looking at amazon and ebay and toys are well not toys are us and target and a bunch of stuff looking for transformers he, he did a lot of time after we recorded last week as well <laughs> i've spent a lot of time looking at transformers this week gang it's it's a bit of a problem i wish i'd bought a masterpiece transformer and they were only oh. like 150 uh, masterpiece star scream and they're only 150 bucks another 300 bucks <sighs> anyway one thing that I, I really, really dig in this opening bit in Cybertron is the background art. I think all the stuff for Cybertron looks gorgeous. It's so dope. And it looks it looks simultaneously advanced and alien, but also broken down and decrepit in a way that I didn't expect it to look as 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 interesting as it did. Um I do. I do have to say, I found it funny again that the Cybertronian vehicles. This is a whole entire planet full of robots that transform into vehicles. That even their Cybertronian forms, where there are no humans to ride around in them, they've still got, you know, a steering wheel and buttons inside a con- and a console inside that uh, you could press buttons on and use a radio, uh, which again probably just has more interesting uh interesting ramifications for maybe the ancient past of cybertron but then it does for for the more recent history but you know um so optimus i love that this starts as a sorry oh no good good oh i just i like this starts as a a standard good versus evil it this was all over 80s cartoons and the the one side was good one side was evil there was no gray area and it's only in recent years where you know they've given the decepticons a little bit more of a background as to why they are the way they are and they've done the same with keldor in um in he-man like they back then no one really cared about the pathos of the villain you know it was 
this guy wears a, a cloak over his head or has a skull for a face or is Megatron. It's <laughs> it was. A lot of simple storytelling, which sometimes I think weakens the overall product, but starting off here with this war that's been going on and like, OK, here's your bad guys and here are your good guys. It. It's a lot of fun. It's fun to go back to. Yeah, they, they didn't need to know more than I want to control everything. But here's where I'll also say something. And right. I, think, I think this is going to prove true as we continue to go through this series in that the Autobots are fun. They're fine. But the Decepticons are way more interesting to watch on screen. And part of that is because every time the Autobots were on screen, mm. They're always agreeing with each other and well, prime, we got to go prime. You know, I'm hurting my hurting my throat doing an Ironhide impression again. But the Decepticons, they get to to argue with each other. And you've got the dynamic between Starscream and Megatron, which is my favorite thing in in Transformers that, you know, Starscream wants to be the leader of the Decepticons, but megatron but megatron is in power but megatron kind of needs starscream so he doesn't just off him or send him away and it's just this you know it's this wonderful little little thing between them so the ships uh well to go back to the plot the ships are flying to through an asteroid field and they're heavily damaged and then they shoot this beam to get rid of the asteroid field but end up crashing on a planet and all of them are damaged beyond uh, damaged beyond reasonable repair. And that ship sits in the desert for four million years. Four million years, Miles. I, I don't remember that being a thing at all. <laughs> I only do because of Beast Wars, uh, that, which it becomes a a. Mm. It becomes a thing in the Beast Wars continuity. But uh, yeah, four million years they sit there and and I forget what causes them the causes the ship to wake up like oh, the, a volcano erupts <laughs> and then the the uh, the the ship turns on. It sends a little uh, little drone out to scan and then it repairs all the Decepticons first and then all the Autobots after the Decepticons have left. And that's sort of where where we remain. And the Decepticons go off to to get energy to put into energon cubes because they want to take that energy and take it back to Cybertron because then they'll have the energy to conquer the planet. And that's that's really that's really it story wise for this first episode. Uh, it ends in this rather humorous uh humorous way of the Decepticons attacking an oil rig and just pouring oil directly into Energon cubes and then compressing the Energon cubes, which is something they do a lot. But uh, that's yeah, usually how energy works. But, you know, what, what are you going to do? That's that's how they decided to do it. Um, so, oh, yeah, I, 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 I'm not looking for actual science facts in my Transformers. <laughs> so. Miles, I have a question for you because we are introduced to a number of Autobots and Decepticons. Outside, I'm gonna mm -hmm. I'm gonna eliminate Optimus Prime and Megatron as candidates here. But who so far in in this episode that we have watched is your favorite Autobot, and who's your favorite Decepticon? Oh. 
Um, so I'll help you out with some. I, uh, I'll help you out with some names. So you've got, uh, and I'm probably gonna forget some. You've no, got- no, I, ha- I got a, I got a list of everyone who appears in this episode. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> uh, I, I do, I do like uh, Ironhide for his amazing cursing. <laughs> Ironhide is Lincoln uh, Lubricant is amazing. <laughs> I iron I'm ready to bust some um, deceptive chops. <laughs> like it's that sort of just silliness. Yeah, I, there's something just about that character that's great. <laughs> uh, Peter Peter Cullen, who is the voice of Optimus Prime, also voices Ironhide, which is something I didn't know. Uh I, I, I didn't I didn't know that, oddly. Um and uh of course he plays it with just this sort of and, country fried robot <laughs> voice. I I will also say I, I get why Bumblebee kind of became the hero of the series further down the line when you have the movies and stuff, because he's pretty fun here. And you're kind of, you know, standard Boy Scout. I love that exchange between him and uh, Wheeljack. That's like Prime told me there'd be days like this and you didn't believe him. I do now. <laughs> but, like, but- there's there's some really good dialogue. There's some really good moments in in this first episode. And and to answer your question about um Decepticons, um I think my favorite has in just in terms of how he looks has always been Soundwave. Soundwave is I'm- cool. <laughs> I love I love when he's actually like a a tape recorder. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think Soundwave has always been pretty, pretty awesome. I Megatron Megatron was always, you know, yeah, he's the he's the big bad. And I I have like and it's not just you, Drew, like most of my friends that are into tr- Transformers love Starscream. And it's the easy just, pick I'm, because I'm, because they give Starscream the most to do in any given scene. He's always, sure. he's always got a, 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 a one liner. He's always got a complain. He's got that really like ah kind of voice. Uh, it, it's it's an easy pick. But I mean, yes, it, it is. It, it's wild that they gave him that voice because it's more it's more in line with your um, your Skeletor or your Cobra commander. <laughs> Funny like you should that mention kind that. of bad guy voice. I believe that. Uh, hmm. No, I'm thinking, never mind. I, I was thinking, I think Cobra Commander voiced Starscream, but I think I'm wrong about that. I think it was that uh, there's there's an episode. Oh, I thought you were going to say Skeletor because it wasn't it wasn't Alan Oppenheimer. Uh, there there uh, there was an episode later on where uh, Starscream works with this very raspy uh, character that uh, <laughs> at the end of the episode, he yells up at the screen. Cobra! <coughs> As if it is an aged old Cobra Commander now working for the Decepticons in one of the first G.I. Joe Transformers crossovers of which uh, and, and there you will are, eventually you are be correct. many. Oh, is Starscream and Cobra Commander the same voice actor? Uh, you... Yes. <laughs> Nailed it. Mm. So, uh, to flash forward to episode two, we are introduced in this one to uh, well, at the end of the last episode, we're introduced to Sparkplug Witwicky and his son Spike, who become the first human allies of of the Transformers. As the Transformers uh, save them from this oil rig, um, why why Sparkplug has his teenage son working on an oil rig when he should be in school? I don't know. They don't really get into that. Uh, why Sparkplug Witwicky has also worked 
in the di- in the ruby mines of uh of Burma uh, is a whole other thing because that is that wasn't a great place <laughs> to work in a ruby mine in Burma in the 1980s. Um so it I, also wasn't till this week that I realized that Spike Witwicky was the same name of Shia LaBeouf's character in the Transformers yep. movies. I never knew they went that deep with that name. They did. I, I, I never, never knew that. <laughs> they definitely did. That was again. Well, we haven't talked about the 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 Michael Bay movies. Uh, for as much as I think the Michael Bay movies get wrong about the Transformers, there's a lot they get right, and and that's one of them. Um, mm-hmm. Favorite Autobots, of course. I would I would say Ironhide. I'm also a big fan of the Autobot Jazz. Uh, who is voiced by Scatman Crothers, which is a fantastic, uh, fantastic thing. Uh, Hound is always pretty cool and plays a pretty big, uh, pretty big uh, thing in these episodes because he can do holograms and stuff like that. Um, And in episode two, uh, because it's mostly just the Autobots and the Decepticons kind of seeing where each other are and, you know, about to go to you know go into this weird ruby mine that's another thing about these episodes these episodes are only 20 something minutes long but they span a ton of content like they're fighting in this location and then mm-hmm. they're going to this location and they're doing a third location and they're miles and miles apart nations apart as it as it might end up being uh but you know what, what are you gonna do um and then, of course, in our uh, third episode, we're kind of blowing through these episodes a little faster than I was going to than I was thinking we would. Uh, they they kind of. You know, the 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 Autobots are trying to catch the Decepticons in a in a plot. To create a holographic jet fuel lab to to, to attack the Decepticons who are going to go get the jet fuel or the rocket fuel to, to get off the planet. And. So it turns out the Decepticons had figured that out already and they attacked a real rocket fuel place. And well, there was a big battle and the Decepticons were going to get away. But at the last second, somebody pulls a magic move and uh, they crash into the sea with the Autobots, assuming that the Decepticons are now defeated, their ship having crashed under the water. And of course, we will find out at the beginning of next week's episode that they are not. They are still very much alive and ready to <laughs> ready to to uh, attack again to get more energon for whatever they are going to do with it. So to go back to what, something you said earlier about how these episodes pack a lot of story, and I think that adds to maybe some of the dryness to me. I, w- I was mentioning this to uh, someone while I was doing these episodes. And commenting on how that I think, yeah, it makes the episodes a little dry. But if I'm a kid in 1984 and I'm seeing this for the very first time, my mind's blown because I'm seeing these robots constantly have battles, and I'm getting to, I'm getting all the information I need for when these toys come out. Not only that, I'm I'm getting a density that I think would inspire other kids to get really into science fiction because science fiction works, especially in the 80s. Are pretty dense and i think that's what makes this such an important uh milestone in not just like nerd history or cartoon history but i think in science fiction history as well because i think you see the birth 
of a lot of future science fiction fans come out of this. We always talk about the 80s being this influential decade and, you know, cartoons being a massive part of that. I think this this and and several other cartoons have a really strong hand in shaping the the consumption habits of future science science fiction fans and I think specifically the amount they pack in these episodes and the amount of lore they give you in these episodes like I I will say while I thought the narrative you know needed some some punching up a little bit I was constantly impressed with how much information they were giving us it was so much and so fast and sometimes it was information that you know how do they know that like the funniest thing to me and and i'm sure this was just because it was a 1980 80s tv show (laughs) the 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 autobots have never known this planet before they don't know what humans are but they know that it's called Earth. They know that humans are around. They know what an what an axle is and all of these things about like America, like American cars and that sort of thing. It's just it, it was just funny to me that they just don't bother with with worrying about this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, but I will say these episodes as a grown up. Some stuff works really well, but some stuff is too moves too quickly they don't let anything sort of rest it's always like to this to this to this or just doesn't make sense or it makes just enough sense that that you know just moves on but i was getting a little sleepy during during some of these episodes especially episode uh two as part of this but but uh but i want to talk about Uh, i'm glad you said that because i was too (laughs) yeah it's 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 okay this is a show made i mean literally a month after i was born is when the show came out. Obviously, it was in production before that. So it's it's just it's funny that this has been with me my entire life, and uh, and here I am saying something even remotely negative about it. And I can't believe that I'm doing it, but uh, but I do want to talk about some things that do work really well in this. And first and foremost, and I think one of the reasons why, outside of the fact that the toys were really cool, and that the designs of all the toys were really cool, I think one of the things that helped sell these the most. And I think that's pro- this is probably true of G.I. Joe beforehand, because again, Hasbro and Marvel and and Sun uh, uh the the uh the uh Sunbow Productions worked together on G.I. Joe and they're working together here. The voice acting, the characterizations in this show for characters are great. They're fantastic. The lines may not be the best written lines. It may be goofy, goofy voices and whatnot. But let's just go through some of the some of the the people. Of course, we've got Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime, who most people probably know as being Optimus Prime in the Michael Bay movies because they brought him back for that. But you've got Frank Welker as a number of characters. He voices Mirage. He voices Trailbreaker. He voices Megatron. Frank Welker is the most famous voice actor in history. He has a career that is decades long, even before the Transformers. He was he was Fred on Scooby-Doo. He was later Scooby on Scooby-Doo. He's Nibbler on Futurama. Uh, if, if you name a show, there's a good chance Fra- Frank Welker has done a voice in it or voices in it. Uh, and that includes 
animal voices. I bring up Nibbler mostly because Nibbler is known for either making little meep, 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 noises or talking very deeply. Frank Welker does both of those for Nibbler. He's he's just an incredible talent. And uh, I mean, the dudes in his what, what is he? He's 75 now, and he has been just. Credits on credits on credits. Uh, you've got Casey Kasem in this as as a number of characters uh, trying to trying to find. I know he does Blue Streak, but he does. OK, I thought I heard his voice and I was I thought I was just making it up. No, he was definitely he was definitely in there. Uh, Casey Kasem. Um, and, you, and you've got a number of other people that you've heard in stuff before. Uh, but uh, but I couldn't uh, I couldn't really give you, uh, a, 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 you know, because because they were likely they were all over G.I. Joe at the same time and 80s cartoons and, and whatnot, because a lot of these things were done by the same same voice voice cast. But I can't you know, I didn't do enough research for for all of these because I'm again, we're doing the whole first season. We're going to get to a lot of this stuff. Uh, beyond that, I do have to give a huge shout out to the music for this show is just awesome. And we've talked about the, the, the opening theme, you know, but with transformers more than meets the eye and it's just so fun and it's so interesting and engaging, but then you've got these, these interstitial uh uh songs that come in you know uh, and uh just i, I should have put all pulled audio clips and maybe i'll do that next week but you, you have these wonderful like tense moments and it's all kind of sci-fi and and apparently in this in the first season there's a lot of of music that's shared with gi joe which i i didn't watch enough gi joe as a kid to, to be able to tell you the difference between them but uh but I, i'm i'm into a lot of what this what this show is doing uh, even if these first three episodes were, I mean, let's face it, they were a toy commercial, a literal toy commercial. <laughs> yeah, and I have no problem with it being a toy commercial. This is something that's never really been a massive issue for me. I mean, as long as the cartoon's good, what does it matter if it's a toy commercial or not? And to that end... You know, these first three episodes are they introduce the world in a great way. The Transformers themselves are very cool. They're awesome robots. And like finding out that there's going to be toys is extremely exciting because they're toys that you can actually turn into something that's objectively awesome. And, you know, yes, it stuffs a lot into this. This pilot that was basically trying to deliver the concept for you. I am curious now that we've gotten the the initial order out of the way, if things maybe get a little bit better in in the narrative department as this season continues. Um I we'll I, see. I we'll see. Now I I will say and I don't think this is going to be as true for the first season of the show. But I do know that they were getting to a point because yeah, right. se season one only had 16 episodes and season two had 49 episodes. That is almost an episode a week for season two uh, for a year. That they were get they were getting the episode productions to four months per episode. And I know that sounds like a long time, uh, but in the 80s, when you were hand animating all of that stuff, animation was took way longer than four months. So there's going to be some other 
interesting stuff that pops up. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, the fact that season one was only was greenlit shortly before the the first three episodes popped out. I got to I got to say it, it's it's interesting because we have the first three episodes in September of 1984, and then the rest of the series picks up in October. So the, the, the timings are pretty close between approving the, the mini series and, and getting to it. Um, uh, it's, it's also interesting to me as, as we kind of go through this, I don't know when this happened, but Hasbro didn't just license the, the Takara Diaclone toys uh, at a certain point, they bought the Diaclone toys. And then they licensed the making of the toys back to Takara in Japan, and it became Transformers worldwide. It was not Transformers here and something else there. They became Transformers and they took on the the same general ideas. They weren't Autobots and Decepticons. They were Cybertrons and Destrons. Uh, it wasn't Optimus Prime. It was convoy uh and because some of those names stuck from the the diaclone days but but it was this whole new life for these these toys a second life for toys that have that are two 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 things in one which is just so neat and cool to me and and something that you don't necessarily expect like i expect something from japan to become something different here I don't expect that same thing to go in the reverse back to Japan after that and then get promulgated throughout the rest of the rest of the world. Yeah, the only other thing I can think of off the top of my head that did that successfully sort of was Power Rangers. Um, That one has been released back in Japan as uh, I can't remember if they called it Super Sentai america or or power rangers usa or something like that um but that's the one thing i can think of off the top of my head where they sent that product back where it's something that they had already had and it's been <laughs> repackaged and popularized and they're getting it back as if they'd never seen it before <laughs> it's almost like we re-gifted <laughs> so with with that said uh this is actually going to be a shorter episode than I think I was ready for. Uh, not a lot to say specifically about the plot. There's some goofiness in these episodes. They're trying to turn rubies into power and that doesn't work. They, there's, there's well, a lot of, there's some, there's some very eighties cartoon stuff going on, but the, the, I think what, what's going to happen in these next few episodes is that, the rest of the world outside of these two spaceships is going to get bigger. We didn't see a single city in these three episodes. We saw a power plant that seemed to be in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and we saw a mine that seemed to be in the middle of nowhere in the same middle of nowhere. Uh, so, so that is going to change a little bit. We're going to be introduced to even more characters as we go through, including some of the best characters that have graced the screen in Transformers. Uh, so as we get into next week, we've gotten our foot in the Transformers door where our big robotic foot is now blocking the doorway from, from Ope from closing. Next up, we're going to be talking about episodes four, five, six, and seven transport to oblivion, roll for it, divide and conquer 
and rounding out with one of the best <laughs> introductions that I can remember from my youth because I watched this episode over and over and over again as a kid. SOS Dinobots. Me, Grimlock, me want watch more Transformers. That's my Grimlock impression. It's pretty good, I think. So. I, I love me some Grimlock. I love me some Dinobots. I am very, very excited. Despite, you know, why, while I seem a little unenthused by the first three episodes, I did. I think I thought it was fun. And there are some really goofy things that happen in 80s cartoons like like on Cybertron. The Autobots apparently have no defenses, even though they're at a, at a war. No one's watching the perimeter. So, you know, they're able the Decepticons are able to sneak in and spy on them with no problem whatsoever <laughs> it's always and so, it's always so that annoying. kind of stuff is and fun i loved I, I have to say of all the cybertronian designs soundwave who is on earth a tape deck <laughs> on cybertron is a lamp post a sci-fi lamp post just love it but it also fits because sound, because soundwave is the spy and we didn't even talk about his cassette tapes he's got ravage and laser beak and rumble and there's so much fun uh i want to buy transformers this is the problem with this show is that the show is only part of the the experience the other part of the experience is having the toys in front of you and having your toys act out what they're seeing on the screen and making up your own stories and all of this stuff and i can't do that i'll be able to next week because we're also going to get reintroduced to a character that had a little background uh background moment my favorite Transformer uh, toy that I own. But we'll talk about that next week on The More You Nerd. Once again, that is episodes four, five, six, and seven. If you are trying to find them, they are all for free. So many Transformers are for free on Tubi, T-U-B-I, Tubi. Uh, There are ads and there's no way around them that I could find, but at least they are out there and available for you to watch. The ads weren't too bad, so just like watching it when you were growing up. It's a lot of fun. Uh, So with that said, we're going to end this first episode of More Than Meets July. Uh, And if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at themoreunerd.com. You can tweet to us at themoreunerd. Please tweet me your favorite Transformer. I don't care what generation it's from. If it's Gen 1, if it's Beast Wars, if it's Cybertron, if it's Armada, if it's Robots in Disguise, if it's the Michael Bay movies, although I might thumbs down any Michael Bay movie Transformers posts, uh, but that's a personal thing for me. Tweet to us at The More You Nerd. Uh, you can go to Facebook.com slash The More You Nerd, and you can email us TheMoreYouNerd at gmail.com. That's TheMoreYouNerd at gmail.com. And if you're looking for some dope swag, you can find us at themoreyounerd.threadless.com. Themoreyounerd.threadless.com. Now, Miles, I think it's time to bust some deceptive chops and end the shows we always do with the rousing nerd. nerd.